This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Educational Triage. This is Tony. And of course, we have our fantabulous Philip with us this week. Aloha. <laughs> And before we get going, I want to remind everybody to subscribe. And this week, we are looking at institutions and communities, or how does education serve the communities that they are in? Does education serve their community? What's that? About the whole principle of community, you know, they talk about school community. When we were discussing, we're going, what is community? I mean, it's such a... It, it can be an expansive term. How does it fit within schools? And how do schools fit within the community itself? Right. I guess it's, Community uh, is a group with a shared purpose mm-hmm. or vision. In this context, we're looking at a community that works and lives together for the betterment of the, of, of the whole, of the whole of the community. And you plop a school down in the center of it, and the school is not a community. You may have a community of teachers, but that's a pretty loose term from my way of thinking. Because the community, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty big. The 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 educational community uh, involves a lot of different interests per se. Yeah. It really does. But when you look at a regular community, let's say that you have a small village or something like that, and Mm -hmm. everybody has a purpose, everybody has a role, and everybody works for the symbiotic workings of that community so that it can thrive and it's going to be better because you provide a service or a skill for that community and so does somebody else and so does somebody else. And so that's how those inner workings go. So for the purposes of today, I want to keep the idea of community as very simple and I want to Mm -hmm. kind of keep it as to pre turn of the century, meaning pre 1900. In fact, if we can go a bit back Mm -hmm. before the industrial revolution, as it were, where we had blacksmiths and we had uh, the, the farmers and we had the sheep herders and we had the people with the cows, and blah, blah, blah. So we're thinking very, very rustic sort of imagery of a, of a community, a small one, a small hamlet, if you will. Okay, I can see what you're saying. I'm thinking numbers, uh, um, so a clan perhaps. It could be seen as a tribe, a clan, a community. A tribe, a tribe, yeah. You know. A tribe's about five. A hamlet, a village. And so everybody needs to serve a purpose. And so back at that time, when children were born, they would run around, they would play, but they would still have chores around the house because once they could, once they were weaned and once they could, uh, move about that then they would start to learn things but they would play and the play would have to do something with learning the social mores and this is what child's play is 
in the evolutionary scale, according to Dr. Peter Gray, is it's learning those social mores and it's also learning it it's almost a reproduction where they play mommy and daddy sometimes. Sometimes it's uh, boss and and worker. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we played Fred Flintstone and teacher. Flintstone. How many how many kids want teacher? Now you sit down and do this, and they handed out lessons. Oh yeah, <laughs> I knew a lot. They of did teacher. <laughs> did they that. did I, I didn't do newsroom. That. You know. Yeah, it's, there was there's all kinds of kids did weird things, but yeah, it was that authority kind of, you know, it was a role play. You know, I want to be a teacher someday, and I've known it since I was X. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, right. I imagine so, back then it was pretty simple, but yeah. And I want to, I want you to keep that idea of authority and in, into the back of your head too. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. so so they play all these things, but eventually what they do is they figure out what they're going to do with their life. And how they're going to be supportive of, A, their spouse or mm-hmm. their family or even their community. So they're going to apprenticeship. Yeah. They're going to go into and they're gonna, apprenticeship. They're going to want to learning how to read status. and write. Yeah. Pardon? Yeah. They're going to want to achieve some status, some sort of status. Outside the family and the reputation and the kinship, there's right. status. So their their role in society Mm-hmm. You know, would be their and, status. And we're not talking about high status or low status, just generally speaking. Yeah. Right. And I think we're beyond where they go through, but maybe they still do. And maybe we still have the rite of passage mm-hmm. with some in some communities. Uh, for instance, the vision quest kind of thing. There are uh, different yeah, yeah. things that are performed by some of the tribes in Africa and in other places around the world. Where when a teenager, when a when a child becomes a teenager or when they start going into puberty, then there are certain rituals that are associated with that. And, so that definitely changed them rapidly. Right. But <laughs> unless you had the time the and the status, you didn't yeah. necessarily learn how to read and write. But if you did, no. It wasn't in a formal school. Yeah, well, we're talking about back then, uh, if you're talking, you know, let's go 300, 400 years ago. We got like villages. There was no need for education because only the aristocrats were reading, writing, or creating art. But education is not just reading, writing, and math. Oh, I'm sorry. Educational system, per se, of reading, writing, and math. Education came in the form of apprenticeships. It came in the form of... Uh, internships. It came in the form of military service. Uh, Life in general was a big way to learn it. Right. You found your niche. You found your niche and you attained the skills that would help you do that. Now, math may have been far more a requirement than reading and writing. Especially probably specific. You know, if you were measuring things or building things, you had to know how to put them together in mathematical ways. So, yeah, I could see where mathematical knowledge is probably one of the more common ways of doing things. Well, yeah, if you ever read Ken Follett's book, um, Lord, I can't remember what it is. It's about the creation of the cathedral. Anyway. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's a perfect example. You know, wonderful. Um but there were all these mathematical equations, whether they knew yeah. just how advanced they were with them, they weren't necessarily mm-hmm. schooled in those. The Masons, yeah. the, the people Masons who did all of this. Yeah. So, yeah. but, you know, we've been able to hone a lot of that down. But then we come up to where Horace Mann becomes the social engineer. Yeah, because yeah. now we have the industrial revolution and people are no longer seen. And this is when people start flocking to the cities. This is when we have more urbanization. And so yeah. if we talk about how cities are growing by leaps and bounds now. And how the cities mock the country folk, that's nothing new. If you read. Henry Fielding or, or Tom Jones, um, if, <laughs> if, where they make fun of the people out in the country and the country yeah. folk make fun of the city folk. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like where you aren't is where the other people are. <laughs> right. So, you know, you have this, you have yeah. this sort of um, <laughs> opposing kind of viewpoint as far as how the other half lives in a sense. Mm-hmm. But we have yeah, that know, even more today because you have the cities sort of commandeering and trying to control the rest right. of whatever. So well, the, the cities are concentrated with the population as well. So in a democratic society that votes, they don't have to try. They have the they have a concentration of voters. Right. Uh, and yeah, there's the levels that, you know, we're talking about when we first came out of like doing our human thing, we came in bands. You know, and the bands were basically Dunbar's number, you know, maybe less, maybe 50 to 60, you know, and then they grew a little bit uh, into tribes. But tribes, you know, are, how much more tribes are like three, four hundred, you know, they have functions inside them. But the original um, the original way we congregated was in bands and that was maybe 100 people. And then as you got higher into like more big, bigger communities, there was more uh, accordance and adherence to uh, society's uh, authority. But when capitalism came, it said the individual is the king. Individual endeavors should be rewarded. Individuals can own, no longer can, it has to be a king or a lineage. And that's what kind of broke things into the big time, you know, cities like New York City. If you think about what happened with just, how many, how's the long has it been there? 310 years or something? It was a, I it was a campsite, you know, and then of course no, I think inhabited by natives. It's, it's been a bit longer than, the, I have the history of yeah. I, I look have at a it book now. called The History of the New, of New York and it's annotated New, by New. my, it's annotated by my, Great grandmother, shameless plug. How and, cool! Yeah, um, it's it's not easy to come by. Yeah, but if you go onto Amazon or if you go into rare books, you can find it. Um, uh, but the annotations. If you think about what happened, though, yeah, I mean, she has exploded. handwritten annotations throughout the book. It's um, not well, if you fantastic. buy the book, you're not going to get it annotated by my great grandmother. So, but. Because my family has a long history with Long Island and New York. Long Island, yeah. But, Your family has a long history. It's not that long in the history of humankind. I mean, it's the city that industry built. I mean, it was right. the site of the first tallest buildings reaching to the sky made of steel. And, I mean, it's an but incredible it used to be place. Just, it used to be just woodland and farmland, and Long Island used to be sheep farmers and potatoes. Yeah, a lot of, uh, it's just in the last 150 years. So that's what's happened to like our society. That's how people get lost. Um, You know, so many people around and you're so lonely. You know, the system's broken down. The bands aren't around anymore. So we seek our own bands, but yeah. Right, we Um, seek our own groups, but most of our groups aren't aren't as humongous as an entire community in, in, yeah. as we're speaking of a, a, an entire Earth. town um it's, it's nice to, to have a little if you're under- living within a group of people i think everybody likes mm-hmm. to be able to maintain some sort of anonymity and have a little bit of ah. of distance from other people just for privacy what uh, okay, that sounds to me. It sounds that sounds counterintuitive, uh, because I'd say like it, if you make a small group of people, then you learn to trust them and become more intimate. If that group, but if that group, if that small group, let's say it's a department of a company, and you're you know you know everybody on your floor, or your apartment, and you kind of trust them, but they're part of you know X industries, then you kind of maybe keep them at arm's length. Is that what you're referring to? Maybe no, don't I'm referring. As I'm, much I'm just referring to my experience okay. in all the communities that I've lived in, and I'm not talking about working in. If we're talking about a corporation, ah. you don't want intimacy at the office. Well, see, yeah, you're right. 
at any uh, level. Really. I mean, you that. might have a friendship, but that might be right. it. But I'm talking about the community. So, for okay, example, yeah. if I were to move oh. into a community of, say, three, four hundred people, I yeah. would know that there would be a lot of talk about the mm-hmm. new person that just moved into town. And so there is a lack of anonymity there because you probably mm-hmm. couldn't sneeze. I already lived in towns like that where you couldn't sneeze without everybody knowing everything about you. So you had to watch everything that you said because you didn't want everybody to know everything that there was about she, you. She, you she didn't want to see that. That one thing you did wrong, I'm going to go, oh, did you see that? He does that all the time. <laughs> or did you hear what I heard? Um, you can't drive. Just, but, I couldn't you know, park once. Leave me alone. <laughs> if you're born into it, then that makes things a little yeah. bit different. Now, yeah. if we're talking about communities oh, in school, that uh, is interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about communities and schools. Okay. Let's talk about communities and schools. And then let's talk about the school community as opposed to the community it's serving. Mm-hmm. I like what you're saying. Yeah, okay. Does that make if, sense? Yeah. If you, yeah, it does. Go on. It's like, okay, because it's sort of like having a classroom of kids surrounding a giant petri dish. Um, the community at school, their goal is supposed to be to serve the students, correct? That's okay. exactly what I was getting Yeah, hearing you say, yes. Their job is to teach, instruct, and to serve the educational needs of the children. So that they're the, they're the community that you were speaking of in that latter part of. Right. They are, well, they are the the connections. They're the connectors between each other, but also the information that the children need in order to Mm -hmm. attain and be able to serve their community or their future community in a better fashion. So when Mm -hmm. a child leaves each day, the community that served them that day should have helped them along the way to learn reading, writing, arithmetic, some science, some personal knowledge about themselves as far as, mm. you know, learning about, because you always say you start locally, then you build out, then you build out, then you build out until you're global. Mm. So you have you have immediate, mm. then your family, and then local and community and town, city, blah. So they're learning all about themselves and the world about themselves, but they also do that through math, reading, and writing, and science. And social studies um, helps them understand some of the mechanics of what's happening. But have we gotten away from that, and have we gotten more into social engineering by trying to figure out just how much we can do in a classroom with that many kids, going back to Dunbar's number, so that we have a one-size-fits-all in education. So these teachers are not necessarily considering the community outside and what those needs are and how to connect with the community, bring them in, and thereby work with the community to help them use their resources to help amplify the needs, but also the talents and the skills of the children that are necessary for them to support their own community. Question, yes. That would be my answer, yes. We, we think we were answering it when you were talking about how, or I was trying to clarify how you would expose yourself in a small community. You said, well, yeah, but I'm talking about at work. I'm not doing that. I'm not, you know, maybe a friend, but I'm not getting intimate or close to anybody there. And that's what happens in schools. I think, yeah, they don't. Anything that resembles a school, they the heck with that. They're not going to open up. They're not going to get vulnerable. 
they're going to have a friend or two. They're going to bear through it. They're going to do what they have to do. Are you talking about the children or are you talking about the, the children? The children. I was the children, I think, I, for a lot of children, school is a huge social biome. Absolutely. But for the purpose of learning, mm -hmm. it's an institution where you dare not show yourself. You try to become, if you're smart, you become the great person. You're neither heralded or, or disciplined. You can just cruise right on through, not much notice. Um, if you're a bad, you know, if you're a troublemaker, you're just awkward, you know, you try to stay as low uh, uh, um, a profile as possible. You know, I've seen, you've seen all those kids. They're like, hey, I'm just trying to do my three or four years here and get the heck out of Dodge. Right. And that's what you were saying too. It's like, yeah, at work, I'm just here for the paycheck. And, you know, that's my incentive is to be paid for this. And it isn't, you know, to go to the team functions and go, yay team and wear the t-shirt on Friday, you know, that sort well, of thing. I, my thing with working at the school was, they were much younger than I am. Coworkers so, or students? No. <laughs> coworkers, the, I don't think. Yeah. Many of my coworkers, I may have taught. I could have taught. Mm -hmm. I can think of I could think of at least one who I very nearly taught junior English to. I can think of several parents who I bumped into who did a double yeah. take because I taught them right. years okay, before, yeah. and now they have kids, and they brought them in. Uh, there was a parent who, when I saw her, she did a double take. I did a double take, mm -hmm. and she didn't remember, but I remembered her. And she was, she, whenever I would sub... She would walk into the class and she would say, oh, no, I'm not dealing with you. And she would leave. And then she would tell them that I had she would make up a story. And so then she'd be mad at me again because I she didn't like the fact that when she came to the class, I wouldn't let her play around. That's that's all it was. But anyway, but there she was every single day. Wanting help okay. with her kid. No, is that a problem? Was it a problem working with, that was not a with problem. students who were co That was not I mean, a problem. No, I, uh, I, really, uh, I really wanted to look at her and say, you know, karma, right? But I decided not oh. to. <laughs> well, being a wise old veteran, I never said that. I'm saying, hello, how are you? <laughs> and... You know, in a way, that's just... And I'm not going to say a thing. You know, it's her, like we've yeah. all changed. But her kid was a great <laughs> kid. He really was a wonderful kid. Oh, yeah. Kid. So, and I, yeah. she was just kind of needy. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that the school community does not function for the betterment of the school. They mm -hmm. are, they have forced them into smaller communities to where there are alliances that are made. It's almost like a survivor project, right? They put them into these alliances where people work kind of with each other, but they also have, for better words, they have bitch sessions where all they do is they bemoan everything that's going on, but they're never yeah. looking for solutions. And when a solution comes up, they always try to pick it apart so they don't have to accept it. Well, yeah. I even have sure. administrators who do that. Well, that's, so, that's what happens in schools when the numbers are great and they're institutionalized. They're, bureaucrat they're bureaucracies, for one thing. Right. Schools will be, there's such a thing called the McDonaldization, McDonaldization, anyway, of workers. Okay, and what it is is that, uh, you know, we take a worker and we produce this burger and we produce it the same way every time. And we instruct our workers for efficiency and profit to do it that way every time, that's how we do things. And that is transferred to everything in our society as much as it can. And it's been transferred into teaching with textbooks and PAT curriculum and uh, testing outcomes that are tested too. It's the McDonaldization of, I can't say it, it's McDonaldizing, yeah. Anyway, the curriculum. 
It's making everybody do it for proficiency and profit. It's the most efficient way to do it. And not that I'm against being efficient. And, and I like a proficiency. These are positive aspects. But if those are my sole goals, if I can't accept that one kid's just not getting efficient quick enough, you know, I can no longer make that burger. But the system keeps rolling burgers down the assembly line past the teachers, and they can't pay attention to the inevitable person. It's not a product. And that's kind of how it became is, well, we're producing graduates here. No, we're dealing with kids. We're dealing with students. We're dealing with God knows what they have in their lives. And we know they do. And no, they're not a product. And it's not efficient sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of inefficient because, you know, half the relationship is sort of rebelling in a way. So anyway, it's, it's cheapens, I think. Um, but, teachers and what they do. But last week we talked about how they, the buildings have become more, more something of containment rather than structures yeah. of attainment. How much do uh, you think that the parents play into this fast food processing of their children? Well, I think they, they, or they do you think that many of they them were raised do it unwittingly? It. Oh, absolutely unwittingly. And they go to work and they do the same thing. You know, they're suffering at work. It's the system that we've, it's the system, of, you know, the economic system that we've kind of imposed on ourselves, like the shareholder, but I'm not going to get there. You know, you talk about the shareholder. That's a one person thing, a shareholder. It's a, it makes an individual out of a profit. That's all. A shareholder is a profit. It, that it, it's it's just disguising language and, and the parents go to work and they go well, i have to do it too and the kids have to learn about the world and so the kids are housed in the schools and they're you know efficiently taught and if they don't comply they're sort of like hmm what are we going to do with them you know it's it's like but, well you're a teacher you should instinctively know what to do with them and you should have the resources and time to do it and that's the job we have. And we're not able to do it because they don't fit the timeline. So are teachers, are you saying then that possibly, and I'm not going to generalize, I will say some teachers, are you going to say, are too lazy to use their resources? Or do you think that maybe they are just, in a sense, burned out? so that they can't be effective for some of those students that really need the extra handout. And yeah, so the they're not there above. in order to yeah. work with them to, right. in a sense, not rehabilitate, but you, you get the sense of what I'm saying in order to bring yeah. them up to snuff with their peers. Yeah, you can't. You can't effectively teach in a classroom of 32 kids. Now you're just managing kids. It's just not efficient when it comes to teaching you can make it efficient when it comes to managing kids but we don't even do that i mean there's iss and there's suspensions and there's this you know school to prison pipeline we're finding all these kinds of ways to pick the overflow up and pretending that the schools aren't you know not student-centered because they're not student-centered you know they talk about the student all the time and and everyone's just supporting the bureaucracy that is the school itself. And it has people nothing are, to do with teaching kids. And people are, okay, the one thing that's really not being supported in a sense, and I think maybe if that started being supported just a wee bit more, might be mm -hmm. if teachers, if instead of a popularity contest, if teachers were all supported— so it's not just the ones that the admin likes, the ones oh, who yeah. spew who spew the vomit that the that the administration likes to smell and hear. Um, yeah, it instruments their curriculum. If you know, yeah, if, the district-wide curriculum efficiently. That's that, that's all teachers were, I like that. But if all yeah. teachers were treated equitably, and we didn't have these little snippy snippy pots of people who just 
they don't really do a whole lot. Except yeah, well, they're not part. Yeah, you know, they're just trying to get under the radar. Yeah, well, they, no, they, I think what they do is no. They're, you, these they're, are the ones that are more into an authoritarian kind of kind of classroom. Oh, they don't like the, the teachers. The who power actually, seekers. So the people who seek power, it's no, it's it's no coincidence. Right. It's, they right. don't do it out of the benefit of their heart. They do it because they want the power. And so you have some incredible teachers who do amazing mm-hmm. things with students. But then mm-hmm. you have these others who just they're they're just not there. And so the battle is between this but it's person that, and the it's teacher, the student's not fault. Right. It's the yeah. student's fault, or it's the schedule's fault, it's the counselor's it's, fault. And many times it can be the counselor's fault. Many times it is the student's fault. But how many times and I heard this over and over again from one teacher who was vying and trying their hardest to become an administrator. So they looked at everything through an administrative lens. So for example, when teachers wanted to be able to have, to have the same lunch or, and, or even some planning time with people who are teaching the same thing, this teacher got up in a meeting and said, how dare they even consider that they have any kind of decision-making power for that? What gave them the idea that they should be even considered to help make that decision? And I thought, holy Regarding cow. the curriculum they're going to teach Who to the children. Who are you? She's an administrator. She's there to preserve the system, not educate the students. Whenever people say we're doing this for the children, I ask them for examples of what they've done for children. And it's usually nothing. It's, well, I made this decision. No, that was you. That's not anything for the kids. Well, you wouldn't understand. Well, I'm sorry, but I have probably far more degrees than you do, and I have far more experience in far more fields than you do. Chances are I probably do understand it far more than you well, so, see, that's interesting. I'm doing it for the children. But your job isn't to do anything for the children. Your job is to do things in support of me and people who do things for the children. That's your job. I'm sorry, I would not have taken your job because I wouldn't be able to work with the students if I was an administrator. Therefore, I don't want to be an administrator. But don't become an administrator wait. and say you do it for the children. You do it for the teachers and the support, and they do it for the children. They do not do it for the teachers. They do not do it for the teachers. They do it for the power. Because they they do, they're supposed to do the job for us. They're supposed to trust us and and, and help us and and enable us to have everything we need to help the children. That's their that's supposed to be their function, but it's not. So what we have. So what we have then is we have an institution that's governed by narcissism. Well, it's because institutions are governed by narcissism. That's that's it's not anything about the people itself. It's so, that it's what people do. The people that ascend to those positions want those positions, and those positions are set up in a system that's pretty messed up. So how do how is the community served? Mm. By that institution, then it's not. I would say. So why do what? So, what value is it to the community, if not just because the parents are not having to go to court because of truancy? It feels as though the parents are locked into something, not of their design. Mm-mm, they're not. It's not their design. But what if, because I put this into the blog, what if we dismantled these huge institutions? What if we made them smaller? Because because think of the money that could be served, that could be saved. Well, think, wait, wait, let me, let me, let me, let me get this out there. Let me get this out there. Yeah. Yeah. You take you take say the neighborhood grade school and you turn that into a community center. You give yeah. that back to the community. 
Um, because, but what you do is you start serving students in a smaller scale where they could thrive. Sure, maybe the seed costs would be a little greater, but the overall maintenance costs would be slimmer. It's easier to ser- it's easier to service a furnace in a house than it is for a massive structure. You don't constantly have to have all the maintenance done. You know, I'm thinking that um, as far as elementary schools go, mm-hmm. those can be structured so they're not very large to begin with, some of them. If they're really large, no, but some of them are kind of quaint. They can be community centers and places where the kids learn in certain ways, just not from like eight to three, mm-hmm. you know, all of them, buses, this, that. And as far as high schools go, they definitely need to be, de- yeah, just they can't be that big. Now, when it comes to a high school or a middle school, they can't be what they are today. Yeah, I so, think you're right. I think they should be smaller sites, much smaller community sites. Yeah. And I think, well, you could have satellites. And I think that that would, yeah. that would serve the community far better because so. that way a small number of parents would have input on what's going on at this school. Sure, mm-hmm. you might have you it it's it's a better use of resources, in fact. So that way, more students have the attention. Students could thrive, and students that don't have the resources at home would be able to catch up and to start and be able to start getting to where they need to be. Mm. And I'm just believing that with this smaller size and with the scope of everything that needs to be learned. It could be a massive, massive leap for many of these students and for many of the families. Because if you have community centers where these grade schools are, where they're teaching reading and writing for some of the families, they have ELL for some of the families that need it. Maybe some of the families are teaching cooking. Maybe they're teaching sewing. Maybe they're doing auto mechanics. It could be a huge, huge boon to the community where they could just thrive. But the schools never think about how do we best serve the community. It's how do we get this school and how do we pay for it and how do we get this through? So we need to campaign through the community so they'll give us the money. Because the community is seen as a cash cow. And as long as they're breeding, And as long as they're having babies that can come to the school, then it's a viable answer, what they have now. They have a rich history, too, of building the the central high school, the big building. You know, it all fed. All the kids ended up at the one high school in town, and it was usually in the middle of town. And if you look at Portland... You know, there's something quaint about Grant and Jeff and, you know, Roosevelt. I mean, they, they've been around for a hundred years almost, if not, yeah, pretty close. I don't know. It, it It's interesting. So they were right in the middle of their neighborhoods. Well, yeah. And so, you know, they were the center, kind of the community. But then we kept doing it and, you know, suburbia blew up. You know, we built the high school, built onto the high schools, and now... They've just given up and they're building like mega high schools, like, oh. like with huge campuses. And it's, uh, it's really, really mind boggling. I mean, you know, a mile around the perimeter of the thing. It's just nuts. They're, they're, <laughs> they're the educational equivalent to the Death Star. Well, it's kind of that way, you know, it sort of lumbers through space and sort of ominously, uh, it's really easy to get lost there. Right. So let me get back to the point two. Yeah. How are these serving the community? The community is an organism. Mm-hmm. It's a place where people live. And that means that the schools, the education needs to be respectful of that space. 
They pretend to be because they say, look how beautiful we are. We provide you with sporting events. We provide you with musical events. Sure, you do. The building of ours is beautiful, and they are. They are very beautiful structures. I'm very impressed with big schools. (laughs) But how are you serving the least of your community? And how are you – what are you doing? Sure, you're showing all the glitz and glamour but you're not showing any of the any of the dirt and the grit because some of those kids who cannot get up there because they don't have everything that that you think that a normal kid should have they're not there and so how are you respecting them and are you respecting them by making sure that they get the best education that they can? Are you putting them in an appropriate program or are you treating alternative schools as a side note where you can get rid of those students so they're not muddling up your numbers and you can continue on with all of these other kids? What is yeah? What's the outcome? I mean, you know, do you want to make an efficient high school and make sure every student graduates by their twelfth year, and we have a high standard of this and that, and make high school rankings, or do you want to understand that every human has a different path, and that some kids are different than others, and it's just going to be a little bit more work, a little more resources in some kids if you have that standard, which I might say is important to have. It's important to have a, a standard, you know, that's of, of proficiency. So when we do send kids out to the junior colleges or the you know, the world or the colleges, that they don't go, good God, where'd you learn to read? Did you? <laughs> well, they're already saying yeah. that. The community college is already asking that. That's precisely why I said that. It's not, my standard's always been, no, I can't hand you off to the next, next educator unprepared. You have to be a 12th grader. Mm-hmm. And you, you and I were, to. you and I were just talking about the Ed Week map of school rankings. Yeah, and we're that around. there were only three states that had a B. Everybody else was a C or a D, and mm. those were Florida, was it Massachusetts, and um, and New Jersey, and New Jersey, Jersey. Yeah, Jersey. Everyone likes to New- to rip on Jersey, but yeah. Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Florida. Yeah. So how do let's get away from what they're doing with the community, but how are they honoring their students? Mm-hmm. What is each I'd school say. doing to honor their students? Do you look at each student? every day and say, you are a waste of my breath. Even mm-hmm. if you look at one student that way, you need to have a reassessment, I think. That's sure, so there cute. are times that we think that way, but then it's like, okay, well, what are some ways that I can get to this kid? Uh, and then you work with it. Maybe you're not going to be able to. Maybe you have to pass that on because we can't handle every student. We can't handle every parent. And, you know, they say that every generation of kids has become more and more complacent, that they are, in a sense, lazier and less able to, they're less hardy, let's say. They're softer, each generation. But what's funny is we reward those kids to be, in a sense, softer but the kids mm. that have grit, we really, we, we fight against. Instead of figure out that grit yeah. is something wonderful, so how do we use it? Now, that's, that's just a thought that popped in my head, I think. Well, because it's not, it's grit used in a way that we don't approve of. Whereas you just, if you just notice grit and go, oh, wow, that grit is grit. But if you say, well, they're, they're gritty, but they're also this then you deem them as a person they're not worth. You're not worth. It's not worth wasting your breath on. As That's you because say. you're trying to contain them and you're trying to be an authoritarian figure. 
Thanks. Yeah, you're not authoritative. You're authoritarian. You're not a go-to. You're not a mentor. You're an authority figure. Do what I say. Do it now. Right. And I think that's where a lot of administrators get lost. And I believe that that's where, I mean, I mean, the yeah. superintendent after that, after that fiasco that happened that got nationwide coverage during the press conference, instead of talking about the incident and the steps that they were taking to rectify it, made it into this narcissistic all about her kind of whinging and it was embarrassing i don't know how anybody could consider that superintendent to be a viable force for good for the students for the families for the community he might be a politician Politician, do politics have a place? Let's say that with straight face. She's a politician. She is. She is. She's a politician. That's what narcissistic sort of politicians. I'm not saying anybody's narcissist. I hate that because it's so easily. Who are narcissists? No, she no. could be just a jack wagon. However, no, it was all about she's, her. She's a politician. She made the whole thing about her, and then right. Why were they filming? They weren't supposed to be filming. Oh, so it was supposed to be kept a secret. So now you're mad at the kids because they showcased what actually goes on. Yeah, right. They didn't have to post it. (laughs) You had more than 24 hours. You had more than 48 hours to come up with a press conference, and this is the best you can do. Well, one of the best signs of maturity is the ability to accept things the way they are. And And I would say accountability. It's a little delusional to go, oh, why did they film it? Uh, you know, why were they born? You know, they I mean, you go all the way back. They're why children. Why are they there? Yeah, they're children. And that's the thing, too. They are children. Children are, oh, boy, they do some pretty big adulty things, but they're still kids. Whew. Like, I'm amazed at at how unintelligent and uninformed <laughs> children are. <laughs> now, that's facetious, but it's true. We kind of go, oh, well, they're really smart. Yes, but they're 14. <laughs> how, many, how much smart can you get at 14? I mean, you can read, read a lot of books. You're not living a whole lot of life, especially be, without hormones. But right. They may be precocious, but they are not years, developed. No, they're not developed. Yeah, they say that men don't even hit like adulthood to twenty-eight. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> that's not that's that's God's cruel joke on humanity. They have to put up with this idiots. <laughs> it's true though. It's children. Gosh, children are children, and yeah, gosh, it would be nice if they fit into little slots. And, and if, be- come on, everybody. It would be nice if we could get parents on the same path as the as the teachers. Yeah, I was I was really lucky. I never got active uh, um, resistance from a parent. There was one, I think, just one, but we were like, "Well, now we're not changing our standards." I'm sorry. I think a girl missed graduation and she didn't turn in her stuff and that was it. And I'm sorry, the deadline's gone. Couldn't, you know, couldn't do anything if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I I was usually supported. I was actually kind of given uh, deferment for being an authority authority figure. Uh, That surprised me sometimes, although I didn't, yeah. Well, okay. well you're a teacher, you know, you're you're, you're, you're really smart. <laughs> okay. I believe that yeah. I believe that where you and I both taught, I think that by virtue of our position, mm. we were given a great deal of autonomy. But then we were. but then we had administrators who didn't understand anything. Although everybody said that they did, they really didn't. And they needed to micromanage. And so they were bent on destroying without 
and I'm not going to give them the benefit of saying that they um, knew what they were doing. I'm going to say that they weren't bright enough to understand what they were doing. They didn't. They just didn't know. And I, so, I agree. and otherwise, I'd be disingenuous, and I have to give them some credit. But they should have known. But getting back to everything, I think that regenerating education and getting it back to a community concept, getting it out of the hands of these, I don't know how else to call it, but it's almost like a monopoly, and putting it back in the hands of the people that it's supposed to be for would make all the difference in the world. You know, I just thought of something, a little image, getting an image. Uh, any high school, or a school for that matter, that requires a center-shared left turn lane to get into, <laughs> it's too big. <laughs> and if it needs a light, it's way too big. <laughs> If you need a light to get in and out of your high school or your junior high or elementary, it's just too big a building. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. Definitely. Definitely. Just saying. All over the place. I have yeah, so many of those around me. Yeah. Yeah, you do. They're long. You drive along about a half a mile, three quarters of a mile, and you're still on the campus there to the right or left of the road. It's oh, it's crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a so, lot of land, a lot of buildings, yeah. So we're gonna wrap up. All right. And I want to encourage everybody to take a look at the blog post. And also, if you haven't yet, take a look at last week's episode with Dunbar's number with Philip. And next week, Philip, we'll be talking about testing, correct? Mm, we're going to be talking about what are tests. You know, just sort of like, what's a t what are let's, these? What are the types of tests? <laughs> yeah, let's look at testing. What is it really testing? And is it really a mm. viable measurement? Yeah, or, or, or if some of them are, which ones are? And what, yeah, and which ones would yeah. work best for our students in alternative ed? And yeah. why do people except such a binary kind of system or is it a binary hmm. system not according to me when it comes to testing and assessment but that's maybe a different topic assessment but Probably. yeah we could talk about that too definitely have my thoughts on how do you assess learning it's definitely. uh okay. <laughs> okay so until then Thank you, Philip. Thank you. And to everybody out there, make sure you subscribe and have a wonderful week. We will see you then. Bye-bye.